Welcome back to Everything Podcast. On today's episode, Gabion and I, we're back on the mic for our weekly episode. This time, we're talking about my recent experience at an Echelon Front Leadership Summit, where we talk about this FTX course, right? This field training exercise course that I took. Diving deep in this concept of building leadership capital by taking a breath and detaching. And we talk a lot about what detaching is, why I thought this was a really valuable skill they taught, and how I'm gonna take it back to my life and also our business here at NC Fit. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for the Yeti question of the day about getting back into CrossFit after leaving it. I thought we answered that really well. I thought this was a great episode. So sit back and relax or go crush on the bike, go get after it. Really appreciate you guys listening. Leave a rating, leave a review, and let's get after it. So when you wear headgear in jujitsu or wrestling, I think on the surface, it seems like, oh, that seems really easy. Like just wear headgear, it'll protect your ears. I think what the problem is, is that I'm not used to wearing headgear. And so when you wear it, you feel like you're suffocating. So I didn't know this until I started wearing headgear a little bit. So the reason why we're talking about this is I have like a little bulge in my ear. And I know we've talked about cauliflower in the past, but dude, this thing is, this thing's, I drained it four times and it just keeps coming back. But what I didn't know until I started doing jujitsu years ago is that when you wear headgear, it's like the equivalent for someone listening who's worn headgear, they know what I'm talking about. It's like the equivalent of someone like suffocating you on your face ish, but it's through your ears. It feels like you're like almost like swimming. It's fuck. It's weird, dude, because you don't think it would impact you at all like that. But for some reason, when you're rolling hard and you're wearing headgear, it feels like you're suffocating. So that's the reason why I've been timid about wearing it. That being said, I do have headgear in the car and I plan on wearing it today. I think I've asked you this question before. I'm curious if like anything has changed. Though. How much of it is that feeling and how much of it is like, dude, like ego and like just not wanting to wear headgear because headgear isn't cool. And I'm, I'm assuming it's not cool. I don't know if that's, there's actually some truth behind that. So headgear, like, I, I don't think it's, it's not like the coolest thing, but like, dude, Tim Kennedy wears it all the time. So I, I don't think it's not, not cool. I think what it is, honestly, it's at least for me is like when I'm doing like pre-rolls and technique, it's all good. I'll wear it. But when you're actually like in the moment and like RPE eight, nine, 10, you seriously feel like you're suffocating. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I, we got to, we got to, Huberman says, we got to, we got to figure out why <laughs> when you wear headgear, it makes you feel like you're drowning. Like, I, I don't want to overemphasize this. Like, obviously if someone has their hand over your face, it's, it's like you're, you, you freak out. Right. But similarly, when you have it over your ears, you just feel like congested or something. I don't, I don't know. I, someone out there is probably gonna send me a message and be like, well, it's the anatomy of this, 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 this. I don't know why, but when you wear it over your ears, it does throw you off. Yeah, well, can't be getting cauliflower ear. I actually be very upset. Dude, this one, yeah, man, I trained it four times, but um, anyway. Did you, did you see, um, do, can you compete with headgear? Is that like, is there any? I think, I, you know what? That's a good question. I think maybe if it's a soft one, because if you have a hard headgear, I mean, you're at a disadvantage because if you're wearing headgear, like, it's the, the only disadvantage, the only advantage you have is that if you have hard headgear, you could like maybe like grind it up against somebody. But wearing headgear, I think most people would assume is a disadvantage. So I guess you probably could wear it in a competition because I think it's a disadvantage. I mean, there's a strap around your chin that someone can use to like choke you with. Like it's not ideal. Um, right. But you talking about Zuckerberg? 
Yeah, yeah. Did you see Zuckerberg? Bro, how badass is that, right? I mean, that, pretty, honestly. It's pretty impressive, man. Like, think what you want impressive. about the guy and, like, social media platforms, but he's clearly a busy man. He's got a lot going on. And, a, you know, he talked about it when he was on Rogan's podcast. Like, he's clearly dedicated himself to training and, like, you know, went out there and, and he won, right? And he was facing blue belt competition, which, like, you know, wasn't like, you know, he's not – going up against like, you know, people that have no idea what they're doing. I'm sure he's not great. It's just interesting to see that. And it was pretty funny because at least what I heard was that, you know, he was waiting to compete wearing like a mask and a hat. So like people wouldn't recognize him and like, you know, like crowd him. But then obviously to go compete, he took all his stuff off. So imagine, just imagine being like, you know, you're doing a tournament, probably your first time because it was a little entry level and you're like, you know, nervous. And then all of a sudden you're like, go to your match and it's Mark Zuckerberg that you're like facing. It's got to be a pretty, pretty interesting story. Wait, so you heard that he was like kind of covering up in the corner? That's what I heard. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. So from my understanding, I mean, bro, the, the guy's training with legit people and he, I mean, even if, even if you're a white belt competing, it doesn't matter. The fact that he went out there and competed and threw down and got uncomfortable when the dude's a billionaire and can do anything he wants yet he chooses to get uncomfortable and go throw down. I don't care who you are. You got to give him a lot of respect for doing that. And not to mention with, with, you know, same thing with um, Tom Hardy, right? Like he has all the attention on when he's competing, but these guys still choose to go out there and throw down. So shout out to, uh, to Mark Zuckerberg and, and all those guys, because there's quite a few celebrities that are now getting into jujitsu and it's cool to watch them actually go and compete and not just be in their gyms. Um, I was pretty shocked to see that because he did gi and no gi. So that was cool. It's it's, yeah. it's building momentum, man. It, it, I'm telling you, uh, jujitsu is like where CrossFit was like 10 years ago. I think it's really, <laughs> it is, you know, you got, um, who's that one really handsome guy? Um, super uh, Lopez, Mario Lopez. Oh yeah. Mario Lopez. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mario Lopez already been a couple people, right? Yeah. He was at, um, uh, he was at uh, the competition I was at in, in Vegas. He actually competed at Master Worlds, um, Mario Lopez. So, Have you rolled with him or met him? No. So I, out of all the celebrity guys, so I've, I've had an opportunity to, to meet and roll with like pretty much many of the top level jiu-jitsu guys. But as far as like celebrities who do it, um, not really. I mean, I think, you know, um, John Wick. So uh, who's John? Um, Dana Reeves. Reeves. He does it. Dana um, Wick. Dude. <laughs> I mean. John Wick 4, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I heard it's good. Uh, but anyways, dude, it's it's all good, man. Yeah, jujitsu. I mean, maybe it's just because like it's part of my ecosystem now, but I just talk, I hear about it a lot. Like this this last couple of days, I was at Echelon Front in Detroit and there was, there was quite a few conversations about jujitsu. And then obviously before that, I was down at Victory MMA and that was a big part of what we were doing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so you said you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about? I mean, obviously, I, I think the major thing I want to talk about today was lessons learned through my experience at Echelon Front. I think that I want to hear about that. There's a ton of takeaways. I think for any owner, coach, leader listening, it's somewhere that I, I'm feeling deeply passionate about. And I want to do a better job sharing with the world on like leadership skills that I've learned over the years, especially coming from my background. You know, um, Gabe, like I started at the conventional gym when I was 15. I then found some good mentors who helped teach me a bunch of stuff. But then as soon as I finished that job, so I went from front desk to sales, I then opened a business when I was 21. 
And here I am 15, 16 years later, and I haven't had too much formal leadership training. Yes, I have people around me that have been mentors and, and whatnot, but I needed to do a better job seeking out this these leadership type courses. And so for an owner who's in a similar situation, I would recommend uh, courses like this because they put you, they help you get comfortable with the uncomfortable and they teach you valuable skills. Even though you know what they are, they find a different way of resonating with them. So um, that's kind of like the, the platform I like to build off of is that if you're the leader in your organization and you're not doing things to develop your leadership skills, I think you're missing out on the potential that you could unlock in yourself and unlock in your team. Yeah. It's such an important skill set to have, right? Like, cause to me, leadership in general falls like things that fall under that are, you know, persuading others to do other, making the people around you better. So I think that even for people that maybe aren't in like a formal leadership role, like you might not be the head coach, the general manager, the owner. I think that there's a lot of benefit from these skills because at the end of the day, like you don't have to be a leader on paper to be a leader in practice. And I think that that's something that, you know, being the leader of your family, right? Like being the person in your actual family unit. And this is interesting. I was, I was um, talking about this with Ariel the other day, and I had a book that I wanted to mention later, but it kind of makes sense to talk about now in this idea of like, you know, being a leader in your family. Um, there's this book, it's called, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Hmm. Um, so I actually haven't read it yet, um, but it's on my list. And I got an email, um, it's called the, the Book Rat, which I actually highly recommend to anyone. Um, I signed up for like a bunch of email newsletters and stuff. And what it does is it actually sends you- Book Rat, is that what it's called? I think it's the Book Rat. Yeah, mm. yeah, Book Rat. Um, the guy who sends it out reads a book a week. I forget, he's like a big entrepreneur guy. And he sends out these like pretty robust summaries of the books and like the main takeaways, the main points. And it's a good way to get some like really good takeaways from books and then see like, oh, I'd like to read that and actually go in and read it. So he's talking about this book. And one of the things that he talks about, he goes all into like, you know, how you have to be intentional about building a happy and fulfilling life. Like that's not going to happen by accident, right? Like you actually have to have a plan to go out there and whatever a happy, fulfilling life means for you, building a business, having a bunch of free time, whatever but you have to be intentional about it, right? You have to go out there and do it. And one of the things, the takeaways he got from it is just how, like how you go about your personal life and building a successful business, like how parallel they are. And I think this ties into this idea of like, you know, I think leadership training is beneficial for everyone because in many ways, like how you go about accomplishing your personal goals is very similar, especially now that I've been, you know, a big part of NC fit for, you know, we were talking about the other day coming up on five years, the things that go into building a business and me and Ariel joke around, but like this year we started like talking about how, like, you know, who's the CEO of the family, who's the CFO of the family, the chief family officer. Like she's the one that we've assigned. Like she makes all the decisions about the kid that we had. And I support her in that, but she kind of takes lead on those things. And then, you know, in terms of like our finances and, you know, investing and saving now, like I'm taking lead on that stuff. And it's funny because we've started to have all these conversations and we have like monthly meetings now where we go over like, hey, what are we going to focus on this month? How's this going? How's that going? And a lot of it is stuff that we do at NC Fit that have worked really well for us, you know? And yeah. like, it makes sense that, treating, you know, our family and kind of accomplishing the goals in our personal life, the same way as a business, because there's so many parallels in that, like, you know, 
it's only me and Ariel right now making the decisions, but we have to be in line. We have to have a goal. We have to have shared values. We have to communicate well. We have to work well. We have to find complementary skills between the two of us and give each other like ownership of different things, right? Like she's going to own these things. I'm going to own these things. We're going to support each other, but we're also not like too many cooks in the kitchen trying to make the same decision. So I thought that takeaway from that book was, it just hit home with me and kind of how we've been, you know, trying to maybe take a more serious approach to a family now that we are a family. But I think that, you know, the leadership training stuff really does apply to a lot more than just people that are formal leaders in the workplace. Which is why I'm so excited about this. You know, like I, I've been thinking about leadership and and obviously, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur for pretty much my whole life, right? And it's just going to this course really solidified a few things for me. But, you know, uh, Ashley and I last night, we were um, we were having like a, a glass of wine together and we were talking about how just communication is so important, you know, in relationships. And obviously, you know, I just come off this leadership event. If there were long days and, you know, one guy gets up and he's like, look, like he goes, I've been distant. I haven't been engaged with my wife and, you know, we're on the brink of a divorce and I need to get home and take extreme ownership and recognize that I'm responsible for this and go communicate better. And it was like super eye-opening for him. Like he was like, it, it was a, it, there was some powerful moments in this experience because it was, it was, there was 37 people and 35 of them were men. Two of them were women that were participating. And they were from all walks of life, from first form stores to uh, uh, construction and, and different stuff. We were the only people in the fitness space. I mean, first forms in the supplement space that, that were there. And I was rolling solo. Many of the people there came with a group. But um, the lessons that were taught through this, they were using the, the, the laws of combat and they were utilizing laser guns as a vehicle to teach leadership skills. So like today, I'm going to put up a post on social media and people are going to see me in like this tactical vest with a, a laser gun. They're going to be like, oh, what were you playing? Like I showed Ava a video of me like actually in the moment. She's like, I didn't realize you were like playing laser tag. Like I thought you were over there working. And I'm like, I'm like, Ava, what they're doing is we're they're utilizing this as a mechanism to teach the leadership principles. And so what I thought was most profound about this course I did, so it was called Echelon Front FTX course. And you know, I, I talk about the courses we do because I think it's important for our listeners to know. Like, I, 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 we did the sheepdog course. You and I both did it. We shared our insight. Now, here this is, and it was an investment. It was an investment of time. It was an investment of resources. But I think it was well worth it. You know, if I could come back and level up one of our teammates or myself, even a small percentage, we're going to get back that time and money tenfold. So the way they structured this event is that they started off by. Um, laying out a deck of cards and they gave different priorities based on who that person was in the deck of cards. So for example, a four of clubs is not very high end, but an ace of spades is the number one guy. Then there's a king and a queen and then they rank them based on like a deck of cards. So you start off and you have these 35 people and they say, okay, here's the mission. The mission is go and apprehend the four of clubs. He's in this place and then they they create the leadership structure. So you have like the OIC, like the head head. Then below them, you have two more. Then below them, you have two more and you have a blue and gold team. And so by the time you're looking at, there's like four levels of leadership across uh, 35 people. So not everybody in that moment is a leader. And what I thought was really interesting is that essentially what they do is they give, they start off with a mission. They give it to the OIC and these other two guys. 
Their job is then to, to correspond and, and provide that clarity to the team. You go out, you execute the mission, you come back, you talk about it. You do it again and again and again and again. And you do this 14 times. From the beginning to the end, dude, the level of clear, concise clarity and the level that the laws of combat started to be refined through these was absolutely incredible. And so what we should talk about today is this idea that you could talk about these concepts in leadership all you want, but when you back up those concepts with stories and practical application, that's what really resonated with me. That's what I got out of this event. And um, I want to talk more about that, but I wanted to pause for a second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going going directly and applying the things that you're learning in in, in any realm, right, is, is so important. Um, you know, one thing that uh, Alex Harmozzi, I think, is actually really big on, which makes so much sense, is like, you know, you should do the thing and then like learn how to do the thing, right? Like, and I, that's not exactly what you did there, but it's that same approach of like, you know, there's only so many books, videos, content that you can watch and really benefit from it without putting it into practice either simultaneously or having put it into practice and then go and learn the things because then you can apply it to your specific circumstances, what you're actually trying to do. And I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but I mean, I've, consumed a lot of Jocko's content. And I know that this is kind of his team, his company and his blueprint, but I love the fact that like, you know, his approach to leadership, like he preaches this whole thing of like, you know, if you were the IOC, if you were the head guy, you're not going out there and saying like, Hey, this is exactly what you guys are going to do. What you do is you explain, this is the mission and you have them come up with a plan from the lowest level of leadership and you give them feedback on that so that everyone has buy-in, right? Like he's really big on like, if you're the head guy, you're not saying, hey, Jason, this is what you're going to do. You're going through this door. You're going to go through this. You make the, the lowest rank come up with the plan. And then everyone just gives reinforcement or, or feedback so that everyone has buy-in from top to bottom, from bottom to top. Yeah. That, so the... So I think what was really key about this, and this is something that we want to take in. So in the future, we're going to be doing immersions at NC Fit, and I think that we're we're going to really make an impact through immersions. Like, I'm super excited about the immersions. And originally, when I was thinking about these immersions, I had a I had a plan in my head that I thought would be really impactful. But after going through this, I don't think that's anymore the the, the best way, because I saw people who were pressure tested, and that's where it really came out. So what they do is you go in and let's just say you're the manager, you're the head guy. And they say, so my last mission, I had, I was the last guy on the last mission who was in charge of everybody. So I was the, the, like the chief, right. On the last mission of the last day before we were done. And my mission our our mission was to go in, go identify the ACE of spades, find them in one of these buildings, take them and, and exit. But while we were doing that, we had a plan. What ended up happening is, um, we, we had like, we got, we, we had a plan to come back out one way, but anyways, the bad guys came in and they basically stipe, like they were on both sides. So the head guy comes up and he's like, Hey, I could call in an airstrike. Where do you want the airstrike to be? And so we had to communicate to the team, Hey, there's an airstrike coming in here. We all need to move here. And when you're trying to get 35 people, when they're, they're, they're throwing smoke grenades and lighting off like, um, firecrackers and playing ACDC, it's very difficult. And so they, what they want to do is they want to get you flustered and see how your national ten, natural tendencies come out as a leader. And so there's 35 or 37 of us. There's seven special forces guys who are actors. And their job is obviously to shoot at you with laser guns, but also just cause chaos. 
And it, it was, the pressure testing was a piece where you really got to see natural tendencies come out. And that's where I feel like people had the aha moments when they got back because, and that's what I think we should do with the immersions is somehow pressure test some people to see what their natural tendencies are so that they could push through that. And the laws of combat, and then I want to just talk about this for, you know, get your feedback on it. The first law of combat is cover and move. And really the best way to think about that is it's relationship building, it's the team, and it's supporting other person. So you cover them, you move. And this concept of being like the two man was really something that hit home to me. Like when you're entering a door, it's the first guy goes in and then your job is to get his back and, and go the opposite way. And how can I relate that to our team? So everything they did with this, it had nothing to do with tactical. So like at one point there was a, um, a hostage situation. They did not care about us negotiating a hostage. They don't, they don't care about that. They don't care about us being in the right columns. What they care about is how the leadership communicated well. And so they tie everything back to your real business. So the first one is cover and move. The second one is keep it simple. Third one is prioritize and execute. And last one is decentralized command. And those were the skills that they layered in across, you know, 24 hours of just like nonstop missions, missions, missions that uh, really hit home for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the pressure testing thing goes back to that, that quote, I forgot who, whose quote it is, but like everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, Yeah, you know, like you can, and, and how true is that in business or anything, right? Like you always start the year. Was that Mike like, Tyson? I think it was Mike Tyson. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, in business or whatever it is, you know, like goals for personal life, like you start the year and you're like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then like, you know, you're three months in and you're like, well, all those things are out the window and you have to be flexible. You have to communicate with the other people on your team. And so the pressure testing, I think is, is a valuable thing. I'm curious to how we're going to bring that to life in like a, a gym immersion setting. Um, and for anyone out there that's like scratching their head, like what the hell are you talking about with this immersion? The idea is to actually invite people gym owners specifically, or anyone really that wants to, you know, enhance their leadership skills and actually come out to the Bay Area, spend some time with Jason, MDB, the team at our gyms and learn those um, valuable skills through, like you said, you know, stories and then actual practical adaptation, which I think is, is what's going to make it powerful. And I think that leadership is something that's severely lacking in the gym space specifically specifically in, in the CrossFit functional gym space, right? Like yeah. we talk about this at nauseum. So many people have gotten into the business because they love fitness. They love coaching. They love that, but they're severely lacking in other areas. And I think that leadership is one of those areas that can then make everything else that you need to be good at sales, marketing, whatever will benefit from you just being a better leader, someone that can delegate better, someone that can make the team around you better, right? Because Right now, gym owners, I think, are really hampered by the fact that they're wearing so many hats. And a big reason they're wearing so many hats is because it's really tough to find good people, develop good people, make the team around you better. And I think that them working on their leadership skills and becoming better leaders is going to allow them to take you know, that one coach and give them the, the marketing hat and take this other front desk staff and give them a sales hat and make them better and develop them. Yeah because they can do that as a leader. So I'm super excited, man, that we're going to be launching this. I know we don't have all the details just yet, but um, it's going to come out fairly soon. And, and I'm really excited for us to put that out and start hosting these because I think it'll be of huge benefit to the space. Um, yeah, I wrote that down actually, uh, Gabe. 
like wear so many hats, right? Um, and, and the reason why gym owners in general wear so many hats is because you need to learn how to lead better. Like when we talk about delegating and stuff, I, I didn't, so much of what the fitness space needs right now is leadership within the gyms. And it, it was just so eye-opening for me to be at this event and and just unlock what I know is already so invaluable, but unlock it in a way that I hadn't really thought of. Um, the one thing I definitely want to talk about today and probably my biggest piece of feedback. So before I left, they make you go up there and like, kind of like you get your certificate, you get like your coin and whatnot. And you say like, what is your, what is your focus, right? What do you, what, do you, what, what do you want to do? And what I wrote is it was like a 10 second pitch. So you go up there like, Hey, um, you know, I just said, my goal is to, um, what did I learn? My biggest takeaway was building leadership capital by taking a breath and detaching, which I want to talk about what detaching is. So building leadership capital, right? It's like putting money in the leadership bank every time you could, you could extract from it or put into it. The way I could extract from it is if I'm, you know, combative or aggressive, or, um, I don't lead the right way. I don't lead by example. I'm, I'm taking away my leadership capital. The way I could add to it is supporting, listening, being decisive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From this is other people looking at my leadership capital with them. Right. And then, so building leadership capital by taking a breath and detaching. So I'm going to talk about detaching and what does winning look like for everyone on the team, which I was just about before we started talking and to send out an email to our team about what winning looks like, what is our Q1, um, what are our Q2 goals? Those are the two things for me that I really took away. So I want to talk about detaching and what that is, because I think this is really relevant to anybody. Detaching is you're detaching from your emotions, your perspective, and your ego. So what detaching means is those three things. You're going to take a step back. You're going to relax. You're going to look around, and you're going to make a call. So imagine you're in the middle of these like firefights, right? And I mean, there was one gentleman who was sharing a story after he got shot and how he had to detach, meaning he needed to take a step back, take a breath, look around and make a call. And I think at times where I have failed is being reactive, being, you know, all up. And what that does is when you're anxious, when you're, when you're, you know, our website shut down a couple of weeks, a couple months ago, and I come to the table and I'm being I'm being frantic. I did not detach. I'm being frantic. I'm too connected. And when I'm frantic, the team gets frantic. And so what I need to do is relax, take a step back, look around and make a call. And I didn't do that. That's an example. Or uh, here's a really good example. In the CrossFit Games in 2015, we were on a team and we were, we were winning by a lot, a lot, a lot. And there was maybe like five events left. And one of our teammates, Miranda, who's awesome, she um, tore ACL in an event. And it, it broke my heart, man. It was, it was, we were, and all I could focus on was winning. I just wanted to win. That was it. I couldn't detach from that. And so when she got hurt, I didn't show her the empathy I should have. I, I, I was so connected that I, I did not, I did not, I am not proud of the way I handled that situation not only as a friend and as a teammate, but also as a leader. You know, I, I got on the phone, I kept calling Dave um, Castro. I kept, you know, saying like, what are the rules? What are the rules? Just being overly aggressive. And what I should have done, I should have relaxed, taken a step back, look around and realized like our teammate is Tori ACL. I need to support her. But at the time I, I couldn't detach from it. And that's a good example of, of, a, of a, a lesson in, in, in competing that I, till this day, 
anytime you make a decision that's emotional in general, you're probably going to regret it later on. For sure, man. And, you know, it's one of those things where, dude, it's hard, right? Like Hell detaching, hard. detaching in the moment. Because what are the three things? It's ego. Emotion, emotion, and perspective. And I, I want to dive into each one, but yep, ego, emotion, perspective. You need to you need to attach from those things. Yeah. So so let's let's dive into it real quick. So detaching from your ego, I think in general, people could relate to that. Like, okay, everybody's got an ego in some way, shape, or form. I need to walk into this situation and detach from my ego. Like I need to realize, like in jujitsu is the best example of that. You walk in there, you have an ego, you got to detach from that real quick because you're gonna get your ass kicked if you if you go in there with an ego. So when you approach situations, you need to step back, relax, look around. And as you're looking around, you're detaching from your ego. That's yeah, key. I think I think the 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 example that everyone can relate to there is when you made a decision and you were wrong, right? Like when when there was like whether it's with a spouse or a teammate, you know, she wanted to go, she wanted to do A, you wanted to do B, and you're like, B is the right answer. Like B is the right answer. And then you realize that you were wrong it's difficult to detach from that ego and just like make the decision to pivot as soon as possible instead of digging your heels and trying to like stick a round peg in a square hole for the sake of like, you know, like, like I really fought for this to be the right decision. Like when the writing is on the wall that clearly it wasn't, that's all about detaching from your ego. Cause you just gotta be like, I got that wrong. And I was so sure I was right, but I got it wrong. Let's pivot. And it is what it is, regardless of what, your partner, your spouse, your teammate is going to think, or like, I told you, sir, or whatever. And hopefully you have, you know, a good relationship with your spouse, teammate, where it won't be this, like I told you, so it'll just be like, yep. you know, now we're pivoting. But even if it was like, that's where detaching ego, I think everyone can relate to is admitting when you're wrong. Yeah. A good example for us is like the on-demand content um, for the app um, and detaching from the ego and moving forward. Um, emotion, I think is, is a really, is a really good one. And one thing that I, I did want to bring up is that the longer the relationship with someone, the harder it is to detach. And there was really great examples that were brought up uh, uh, during the course where really good stories. And so like, let's just say you and I have had a relationship for five years. The hardest people to detach from are the ones you feel connected the most to. So for example, it's easy to get emotional with your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, because there's just so much like depth to that relationship. And so detaching from your emotions in those particular situations, it's harder and harder and harder the longer you get to know someone. And I think it's really important to detach from your emotions because no one has ever made a good decision that's emotional. Like, meaning like no one's ever felt good about a decision that they made really good. I mean, when it was highly emotional. I, I mean, think about that. I mean, how many times have you said something or done something and you look back and you're like, dude, that, that wasn't cool. You know, I, I should have communicated that differently, you know? Yeah, the best example I think in work is when something happens that rubs you the wrong way or like really spins you out, like that 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 tip of like type out the email or I guess now type out the Slack message and then like leave it there overnight and then revisit it, right? Because so many times whatever that initial knee jerk reaction is to like to say, to type out there and like send to you whoever it is, you know, if you were to give it a day and let the emotion kind of tone down, because I think that that's, that's a big tip that I would give people for detaching from your emotion is giving it a little bit of time. Because usually the emotional decisions, like it's that knee jerk reaction. It's that like the instant it happens, your reaction is this. 
And most times if you give it, especially the day, right? Like if you sleep on it, you'll feel very differently and you'll be able to kind of think a little bit more clearly and make the logical decision. But I think that the best example for that is that tip of like, you know, type out the angry email, save it in drafts, go to sleep, read it the next day. And most times out of not, you'll either reword it completely or just like, it's not, not even sent out. Yeah, exactly. Dude. Yeah. So we were in the middle of a, an event at, at the FTX, right? And I was not in a situation of leadership. So I was on a fire team and I was not at a, at a leader level. And so there was a hostage situation and we're leaving. And the goal is to extract. The goal is like, the, the goal is to leave. And since one guy, he wasn't like the head head leader, but he was like, he was higher up. He's like, everybody get the fuck out. Like, you know, getting pretty aggressive, right? And so all of a sudden my leader of my fire squad, my guy, there was some bad guys coming up this other side. And he's like, go shoot at them. Like, go, you know, go address them. So I'm like, all right. So me and another guy hide underneath like this car and we're shooting these guys, right? And this other leader who wanted everybody to leave. So my leader had told me to, to engage these guys. This other leader comes down and is just highly emotional, highly fired up. And he comes up and he grabs my vest and he kind of like lifts me out of the, the car area. He's like, hey, we got to get the fuck out and grabs me. And so we end up getting back and like, after things calmed down, I walk up to him and I was like, Hey man, I just wanted to kind of clear the air on this because it didn't, it wasn't right. I was like, you know, you came and, and you grabbed me by the vest and I really didn't appreciate you. Like, like touching me like that. It, 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 it wasn't cool. And I wanted to address it with you immediately. Um, one, cause I didn't want to like fester it in, but two, I thought it was a good, the whole idea is to develop leadership skills here. I wanted to share with him that I didn't appreciate that form of leadership where he grabbed me. Right. And he's like, dude, I don't even remember that. I'm sorry. It's because he was just so like, I mean, dude, in this particular case, like, you know, you got a, a bunch of firecrackers going off. You got like blow horns and shit. And like, it, you know, he's just in the moment. But that was a good example of like how if he had stepped back, detached, he probably wouldn't have done that. Right. But he's in the moment. And I don't fault him for it. Like, we've all been there. But that was an example. Yeah, it's so interesting. Right. I feel like we've all had moments maybe not all of us, but I mean, I, I definitely remember times where like, you know, you say something and it's almost like blurry thinking back that you even said it, right? Yeah. Because you're so caught up in like the heat of the moment to where, you know, things come out that like you wouldn't normally say, or you do things you wouldn't normally do. And that's where, you know, taking it back to a few episodes ago, where we were talking about the, the cold plunge um, and how like, there's a lot of people in the fitness space now that are like citing this one uh, study that like, you know, it hinders hypertrophy. And it's like, oh, everyone's wasting their time with the cold plunge. And it's like, dude, just go kick rocks, man. There's there's so much value to that aspect of the cold plunge in particular, because I am a firm believer that that, that muscle where you can be hit with whatever, right? Like a blowhorn, like something that just like spins you out and how long it takes for you to come back to center and be focused, that is a muscle like anything else, right? Like it's training to see, you know, how long does it take you to recover from doing a max set of, of air squats, right? Like it's a muscle. The more you do that, the more you'll like be able to bounce back quick. And I think that the same thing applies to being thrown into like a full on flight or flight situation and being able to come back to center. And I can't think of a better tool for that than the cold plunge, then going into like extremely cold water that, I mean, anyone that's done it like completely throws you for a loop. It's the most uncomfortable thing ever. And then working on the necessary breath work to like 
okay, I'm focused now and I can actually think and I'm not panicking. I'm not doing it. I think that that has helped me immensely to, you know, I mean, we've had times, whether it's at work or, or not, where, you know, things happen that get me all spun up. And I think that I've, I've, I've trained to be able to like, you know, just step back and be like, it is what it is. And now I can actually like think clearly and make a decision. Um, and I, I give a lot of credit to the cold plunge for that, regardless yeah. of what the fitness influencers say. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a way that we could support people detaching through fitness and like plunging is an example. I, I think there's something cool here that we're going to be able to incorporate through the immersions. But the last one I, I definitely want to touch on. So if you think about it, you have to detach from your ego, makes sense. Like when you know you're wrong, but you continue to go through them just because you got to let it go. You got to detach. You got to say, hey, that wasn't the right decision. Let's move on. Um, you detach from your emotions. I think the email example is a great way to look at it. Like any, everybody knows that you don't make the best decisions when you're emotional. Um, and then the last one is this idea of perspective. And this one, this one, the best way I could describe this is the radio example. And so, you know, when you're, when you're in the moment and you're on this, like you're on this like paintball field, that's giant. And you're trying to communicate. You're like, Hey, you know, our target is over there. Like, let's just say, I, I say that to my team, like the target's over there. The target's over there. And you're like, dude, where the fuck is over there? Or, Hey, the target's over by the car. No oh, target's over by the car. My perspective is like, I'm pointing at it. I'm saying, dude, it's over there. It's over there. But to them, they're like, I have no frame of reference. My perspective is completely different. I'm looking at this through a completely different lens. And Leif Vadden said it really well. He's like, dude, when we were on an op, this is like a real op, not like laser tag. It was so important that when I got on the mic, I knew exactly what I wanted to say and how to say it. Because I needed to realize that the more descriptive I could be, the better off I, it would be because they're coming at it from a completely different perspective. So he would say, hey, we have a guy on the second story in the Northwest building, you know, and give clear, concise. And the way I like to look at that is that if you're slacking your teammates or emailing them or texting them, sometimes we feel like they have all the information or whatever, like, um, how did it go, for example? And someone's like, how the fuck did what go? Like, explain to me what that is, because they're in your mind, you think they have all the information, but they're coming at it from a different perspective and a different lens. And so it's important to detach from your perspective and realize that people are going to come at it from different perspectives, whether that's life experiences, where they live, and Slack and messaging people is a really good example. So if I was to message you, Gabe, and I was to detach from my perspective, how would I communicate that versus if I just like sent you a message? So that was the third piece I thought was really valuable. So you mean like when you send a screenshot referring to a video that I've never watched asking for my opinion? Uh, exactly. Yes. So, so to be, to be fair, I am terrible at detaching. So, which is the reason why this was probably my biggest takeaway, you know, like they, they kept saying like, you'll find the run or the mission and the role that you need to find. Right. And they put you in different places. I think what they do is they, they're, they're very creative. The, the team there at AFTX was great, but detaching was a, the, my biggest takeaway was that if you detach, it gives you perspective. It allows you to step back, relax, look around and make a call. And that was by far my biggest, biggest takeaway that would lead toward building leadership capital with our team. Do you think that this applies to this idea of detaching from perspective? But another thing that that makes me think about is many times, not many times, every single time, NCFIT included, the owner of the business is going to have a much more a much a very different perspective 
than the people on the team with how important everything is, right? And I think that that's also where this comes to mind for me because, you know, for you, NC Fit decisions will always just by definition be more important to you, right? Because you're up here and that difference will be magnitudes higher the more you get to the ground level of like a front desk staff, for example. So I think the perspective of how important something is to you versus them is going to be something that you should take into account or any leader should take into account when clearly communicating how important that is, because you can't assume that they're just going to like, well, obviously the gym needs to be super clean because you take pride in that as the owner of NC Fit and the brand that we built. But that needs to be very, very clearly communicated to a front desk staff, especially a new front desk staff, because they're coming in, they're really just doing the job that they're supposed to do. And yes, there's like the culture that's built in and seeing it happen around them. But I think that that's another thing that I think about with like detaching from perspective is understanding that people are going to have a level of importance to things that's very different based on where they are in the organization. Yep. And your goal should be, um, there's, there's a lot of, um, obviously takeaways that, that lead into that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on what you're saying. And so by detaching, that would help you with, with, with that, what, what you're talking about right now is you're detaching from your perspective and you're trying to see it through other people's perspectives. Right. That's right. Um, let's see. It's, uh, you know, another thing that I think about when, uh, detaching from, from, a, a Ego, I guess, is what it would be. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about Berkshire Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot, what's his name? The investor that's been doing it for like Warren Buffett. Years. Warren Buffett. That's Warren Buffett's, uh, you know, in, investment company. And he said recently, because they recently had their shareholders meeting, that he attributes the success of Berkshire Hathaway to 12 good decisions. That's it. So they're averaging one good decision per five years. And it was interesting because they were on the podcast discussing this idea of how people get really caught up in getting every single minuscule decision right instead of detaching themselves from like, hey, you're going to be wrong, honestly, most of the time. But what matters most is getting the critical decisions right. Like there's a few things that you absolutely need to get right. And you're more likely to get those right if you're okay getting all the small decisions wrong and learning a lesson from it. Um, And it was really interesting with this very real life example of, you know, what many people say is the most successful or one of the most successful investment, you know, portfolios that there's been. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy says that, yeah, I mean, it's been 12 good decisions in what's been over 50 years of being in business. So they're averaging one good decision every five years, but those good decisions have been very important and very critical good decisions and they probably learned a lot by all the bad decisions that they've made along the way 100 percent, yeah man so and i think that the decision making process and going to events like this i think i think is 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 where you need to be as if you're a leader in your home in your business for your family like in and taking your own fitness into account i think doing events like this just continue to reinforce and something that i'm really bought in on is that I think we could do a better job of of explaining the, the value we're trying to express. Like what what is the concept? What stories we have to back it up? Like the one brief I talked about with the CrossFit Games and Miranda. And then how to pressure test that to really ingrain it into the individuals to see what we're talking about. 
that's something that I'm really interested in discussing because that made a big impact for me on this course. And I think we could do a good job specifically for gym owners, but also anybody who's looking to just level up. I think we could utilize fitness and that adversity to help that. So I'm looking forward to diving in deeper with that. We could obviously talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting, man. So you were telling me a little bit about this yesterday on a call. And I asked you like, if it was fun and you know, your answer to kind of summarize, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, there were super long, very difficult days. You got some great takeaways and it was very engaging, but you know, you wouldn't necessarily call it like fun. And I, I think the reason I asked the question is because as you describe what you guys did, how it was structured, like to me, like I would love to participate in this. Like I, I and I would really look forward to it because I think that it's me talking and learning about a lot of the things that are very valuable to me and that I want to refine within a context that I think would be fun because that stuff is fun, right? Like yeah. it's a reason I did the sheepdog course. Like that's the kind of because I think that a lot of this content can be delivered in different ways. And For the sure. point that I'm trying to make here is there isn't a one size fits all to going out there and learning these skills. Because like, for example, Ariel has done a bunch of like, you know, masterminds where like her and a bunch of other nutrition coaches like get together and it's like a weekend at, you know, a, a really nice house. And they're, um, you know, like writing down their goals and like kind of brainstorming. And I get that that's maybe a much more like feminine energy way of approaching that, but there's very different ways to get a lot of value and work on the skills that you need to. And it's not a one size fits all. I'm particularly excited to do stuff like this. And I would hope that people in the fitness space would be particularly excited for what we're thinking about doing, which is doing all of the things that we talked about within the realm of what we all love, which is fitness, working out, being in a gym. Um, and I think that that's where we can, I think, plug a very necessary hole because it would be this leadership type training that I think everyone can benefit from, but delivered in a way that's like very specific and hopefully would be very fun and engaging for our community, which is gym owners, coaches, and just people in fitness in general. Yeah. I mean, you asked me if it was fun and I, I, I think like the, you know, the, the nice answer would be like, yeah, it was fun. Like that would be like the easy answer. Right. But it, it, it really wasn't like, it, it wasn't fun. It was, and the reason why I told you it wasn't fun, it, so what it wasn't was sitting in a in a conference room. So I showed Ava this morning a video of me doing some stuff. She's like, I thought you were at work, like learning. And I'm like, I was at work learning, but it was learning in a more dynamic way. And I explained it to her. She's like, oh yeah, that makes sense for you. You have a bad attention span. I was like, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like you're in a conference room learning, but the reason why it wasn't necessarily fun, it was more fun than being in a conference room but it wasn't fun because the entire time you're sitting there and asking yourself, if you're actually getting your money's worth and you're actually trying to learn the entire day, you should be thinking, how does this principle impact me? What can I take away from this? And what am I going to you know, write down as a, as a goal for me coming out of this course? And so every mission, every time we got back, every time we're on the mission, I'm sitting there evaluating other leaders and asking myself, what do I do? How can I do this better? And so the entire time you're just on. And um, it's not like you're just out there playing laser tag. You're you're evaluating leadership skills by utilizing laser tag. So that's why it wasn't necessarily fun. It was very like action oriented and a lot of thought, which is why it was super draining. Um, 
but it was more fun than sitting in a conference room. Let's put it that way. For sure. For sure. I got one good kill, which got me fired up because these dudes <laughs> were special forces guys. They killed us so many damn times. Like there was one point that I died. So once you die, you have to like sit there and then someone has to come and like carry you out or whatever. Like they don't carry you, but they like touch they, anyways. So I'm sitting there and I'm already dead. So I was able to watch the operators, like the guys who are actually trying to kill our team. And this guy is on top of this castle. And all I hear from his gun is kill, double kill, triple kill. You got him or whatever. And I'm thinking, damn, I haven't had any of those. And I've been playing this for, you know, so that they're just very talented, obviously, you know, at I, the time I got a kill, I got fired up. I got excited. But well, they're the best that, in the, they're the best in the world of what they do, right? Yeah. And these guys, yeah, they were, they were just, they were making easy work of us. It's funny. As we talk about this stuff, man, it reminds me of so many like little pieces of content videos I've seen. Another one that is awesome is, is a Simon Sinek video who he was talking about special forces people specifically and asking them like how they choose the people that make their team. And he had a graph and the graph on one axis was like the most, like the best people, like the highest performers, right? Super competent. And then on the other uh, axis of the graph was like people you would trust with your wife and your children, like just ultimate trust, like the best people. And he was saying that special forces people would rather have someone, and it's tough without seeing the graph, but would rather have someone that's relatively low in competency, but super high in trust. Because obviously you want the guy that's both, right? You want the guy that like you can trust with your wife and your kids. And that is like an absolute badass and super competent. Like that's the ideal. But in the world where you're making these decisions, nine times out of 10, you want the guy that you can trust with your family, with everyone that might not be the most competent person versus the guy that's incredibly competent, but you can't really trust. And I thought that was interesting because even in this team where obviously you would imagine that being competent, being that guy that can be up on top of the castle, like kill, double kill, like that's what you want. That's what you need. It might save your life. What these people value more is just someone that you can trust. And I think this all kind of ties together to leadership and a lot of the things that you learned. But you know, if the best team in the world isn't valuing competency, like raw competency, as much as like the soft skills, like trust, it should tell you something about what you're looking for, you know, on a coach that you're hiring on the gym floor, right? Like yeah. we talk about this, like, do you want the person that absolutely knows every intricate detail of the snatch and teaching the snatch? Or do you want the person that's a good person? Obviously you want the person that's both, but I think that the latter is actually more important. Yeah, the, the big takeaway they're trying to get at too is like, what's best for the team, right? What's best for the organization? And looking at it through that lens, like if it's good for the team, if it's good for the team, it's good for me, it's good for everybody. And th there was a lot of, you know, actionable stories they talked about and it, it was, they did a great job. I, you know, again, it's hindsight always twenty twenty. In the moment, you're tired, you're going through a lot of stuff, but in hindsight, looking back on it, um, that was a fun event. That was, that was, that was really valuable for me. And I'm very interested in sharing with more people. The, the key though, overarching theme is this idea though of extreme ownership, obviously. Um, that if you're not taking ownership of the fact that you need to level up in these areas, it doesn't matter. Like you can go to all the events you want, but if you're not looking deep at yourself and saying, hey, I could be better. I think that's, that's what's key. I mean, I got back and I was like, dude, 
And this is something I got to continue to do on a weekly, monthly basis. Like, man, you know, am I paying enough attention to my wife? Am I engaged enough with my kids? Like, it, it, it just it, taking ownership across everything. And I, I think I do an okay job of that anyways, but I, I could always do better. So yeah, for anybody listening, FTX program, our friends over Echelon Front, um, they did a great job. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I hope we get the opportunity to do it someday because it, it seemed like an awesome experience. For sure. For sure. Well, dude, I mean, we've been talking for a while about this. Um, I got plenty more of other items that we could talk about in the future, but anything on your mind you want to discuss? No, man. I'm, I'm really excited for us to get these immersions uh, cracking and, and give people some more details and, and honestly some dates so they can start, you know, if they're interested, you know, planning travel and, and, and coming out. Because uh, I think they're going to be awesome, man. I'm really excited. I think this is filling a huge void in our space. Um, and I think that they'll be fun to run, man. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Um, we've learned a lot and I'm, I'm excited to share. You know, I, I just want to share from business. Like, what have I learned? And and competing. What do I learn? Because, you know, the the these gentlemen that were talking about laws of combat, they were pressure tested at the highest level. I mean, this guy was talking about detaching when literally... He got shot and bullets were hitting like a foot from him. That is at the highest level, right? And way far down lower is me competing at the CrossFit Games and lessons I've learned there or equating that into business. And so if the laws of combat could work in those super high stress situations, they'll continue to work at the CrossFit Games or or our business situation. That's that's really what, I, what I'm taking from, from this course. So, yeah. Dude, well, we got Coach Like a Pro coming out. Um, if you're a gym owner, if you're a coach and you're not on our bi-weekly Build Better newsletter, make sure to check out the podcast show notes. Um, oh, you know what we got to get at, after um, as well, um, Gabe, was um, the Yeti, Yeti question, question of the day. Right. Do you I, have it? I can find it. I'll try and find it. Let's, um, there was one that I wanted to get to. Yeah, it's your pick. I mean, I mean, here's a, what would your, what would your younger self think about you now? Hmm. Huh. What's the best way to combine training in two different boxes with two different programs? Hmm. Best strategy to work in zone two cardio along with my cross workouts. Let's see. Let's go with, um, let's go with this one. Wanting to get back into the CrossFit space, but very nervous. Any tips? Let's go with that one. That's, that's something I think that would be really relatable. You want to get us started? It, it's, it's a good question, man. And I think it's, it's a common question, right? And I think that this not only applies to like the person who asked it and people out there that might be thinking the same thing, but I think it's a valuable question for gym owners and coaches to think about, because I think that it's one of the biggest obstacles that's keeping people from coming through your doors. Like this is a very real thing that is out there and we have to acknowledge it, right? Like we have to call it duck a duck. There is this feeling out there amongst some people, um, maybe a lot of people, maybe not, but definitely some people that they're intimidated to come yeah. back in. 
um, whether they left because of the pandemic and just never came back, whether they left because of an injury and are just nervous coming back or whether life just happened and they fell off and now they feel that they're, you know, quote unquote, not fit enough to come back. Um, so I think it's a valuable question for everyone to think about. I think that, you know, the answer to the person asking it is just that you should have trust in the coach and the programming that you're going to come into to meet you where you're at, like period. And I think that if you get the gut feeling when you come in and try a class at a gym or start doing something that it's a little bit too much, just take a step back and always acknowledge the fact that like, if you're doing something, it's better than doing nothing, obviously. And that might mean cutting the volume, cutting the load, changing the movements, all of the above, but that's still a step in the right direction to get you back to working out consistently. And I think that at the end of the day, it's also important to recognize that it might not even look like coming back to a CrossFit gym. It right. might look like consistent, like if you can go out and walk three, four times a week, and that's just where you're at right now, that's perfectly okay. As long as you're constantly building momentum to improve and get back into a gym, back to where you were before. But I think where a lot of people fall off is that they think that they need to go back and pick up where they exactly yeah, where they exactly. left off. Snatching, or it's like not worth climbing. it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I think not to cut you off, but I think you're you're exactly right. When you say, when this question comes up, what I'm anticipating is that this person was super into CrossFit, super fit, tried to RX all the workouts, all this kind of stuff, and then fell off because of whatever reason, right? Which is, you know, it happens. Life happens. And now they're placing their fitness back to where it was before. And I think you just need to be real and take extreme ownership in the fact that you're not where you were before. And that's okay. But what steps can I take to get me back towards where I'm at? And I think taking ownership of that and identifying the right gym is the first step. Like go around, go check out different gyms, go meet different coaches and find one that resonates with you and start super slow. Like I think, you know, Gabe, something I was talking to uh, Leif Babin about was this idea that like, I want to be fit for the rest of my life. Like, and so if you're trying to get back into CrossFit, you don't need to get back into it tomorrow and go hard in the paint. But maybe your goal over the next year is to get back to where you were. And so now start today, go in once or twice a week and then kind of grow from there, I think is, is the key because then over time, you'll rebuild your confidence that you had before. But if you try and just go from zero to a hundred, you'll, you'll potentially burn out and then you'll never get back in. So instead, start slow, build your confidence, and just start off easy. And like you said, if your goal is to get into a CrossFit gym, you can do many other things before you get in there, from bodyweight movements to walking to rucking, build your confidence, and then go into the gym and go find a great coach who's going to support you along that journey. And for any coach or owner listening, you got to remember there's people out there just like this person who have taken years to come back into the gym and they walk in and they're one bad experience away from leaving your gym, but also leaving the opportunity to maybe get fit to the level that you could provide. Like, think about that responsibility. If you're the owner and you have someone that's been debating about this for so long and you don't give them a good experience and they then say, I'm never doing CrossFit again, it's a lot of responsibility. So treat those people with a lot of grace and meet them where they're at. And I think that in the long run, it'll work out great for everybody. Yeah, and I think that the other thing I would put out there is any gym worth its salt. And I know that there's a lot of gyms that aren't out there. But any gym worth its salt should be able to take someone in that is deconditioned and out of shape and have something for them, 
that might be personal training in the beginning, right? Like that might not mean throwing them into group class and doing a scaled version of a Fran, but you should be able to seek out a gym that does our type of training and find a way to step in and do it safely and effectively. Again, not all gyms are going to be at that level, but it should be. That should be at least what we're aspiring to. And what I would give advice to the person that maybe is going to take that leap is just if it feels like too much, if it feels wrong, once you get started, like follow that gut feeling, find another gym, just keep looking. Don't, don't settle for where you're going to be doing your fitness because it should be a place that you're going to enjoy. It's not going to get injured, so on and so forth. Yep. Use that detachment tool, right? Walk in, have an experience, detach, ask yourself, hey, take a breath. Is this the right fit for me? Boom, move on. So I love it, Gabe. Um, well, bro, I, I appreciate your time today. I think it's been really great information. I, I hope that anybody listening just gets an impact from this detached concept, gets an impact from the courses that we're taking, and we're just trying to level up our game. So if there's ever a way that we could support you more, hit us up on social media, um, let us know, make sure you're a, a part of the Build Better newsletter, the monthly or the weekly EOE emails. We have a lot of good stuff going on. So I appreciate all you guys and um, we'll see you again next week, right, Gabe? That's right. Let's get it.